Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I do hope that you'll be praying for Pastor and Judy and others who are traveling with him uh, this week, ministering overseas in the mission field. Pray for God's blessing, pray for health and safety as they travel. Uh, it's always a challenge when you travel today. And uh, I know they had quite the challenge with the flight getting canceled, and, but they're there. So uh, thank the Lord for that and just uh, continue to be praying for them throughout this week. Pastor asked me to speak uh, this week and then next Sunday evening uh, as he was gone. And I, as I thought about what to talk about, what, what to share with you from God's Word, the more I thought about it, the more I prayed, the Lord just burdened my heart with the idea of, of living in evil times. Um, I, I hear people discussing this. I hear Christians discussing this. Uh, I, I've seen some things written on the subject. Um, we live in an age where the morality is evaporating about as quickly as I've ever seen in my lifetime, and I think probably in most generations. Um, Things are happening so quickly in this world that even unsaved people are a little bit shocked at what is happening in the world. Uh, I do think we are in the last days. I'm not setting any dates tonight. I'm not going to make any announcement about the Lord's return, so don't worry. Uh, but I do think we are in the last days. I, I think the Lord could come uh, any moment. I, I pray he would come any moment. Uh, but it could go on for a while. Things could get a lot worse than it is uh, already, and uh, perhaps may, may very well happen that way. So it is important for us as Christians to know how we should conduct ourselves and how we should live in an evil world. We, we've always lived in an evil world. Let's, let's don't kid ourselves. The world has never been a friend of grace, and uh, things have, there have always been evil people, and there have been countries where there have been more atrocities uh, than we could ever even imagine, uh, things we have never experienced. So it's not like evil has never existed. But we are seeing, I think, in a just an honest overview of the world today, a turning away from God, at least in our society, a rejection of biblical truth, a blindness that leads to really, I think, a lack of common sense and just amazing things that are, we are expected to go along with and nod our heads and say, okay, I guess that's all right. And there's a lot of people in the world who, doing, who are doing just that because they don't want to be in trouble. They don't want to say the wrong thing, be banned from Facebook or Twitter or whatever else might be the social media that they prefer. They want to be warm and, and cozy and loved and accepted and just go along to get along. But is that the way a Christian should live? So the message tonight is going to be a really somewhat of an introduction to next week. Next week, I want to go through some biblical principles that 
that the Bible teaches Christians should live by, especially in evil times or difficult times. In fact, there, there are passages that, that are related sometimes and used in connection with difficult times. And I want to look at, at a number of those principles next week. But before we get there, I want to look at an example of someone who lived in an evil day. And I can't think of a better example than Noah. Now, I have preached uh, on the life of Noah here in the past. It's been a long time ago. Uh, but uh, I wanted to bring up some things about Noah again that I think are very pertinent to this whole understanding of how do we live in an evil day. There's three key passages I want us to look at tonight. Uh, and I think we'll read them first of all, and then go back and just make some general observations uh, as we consider uh, the whole of these texts. The first of the passages I want us to see is, is in Genesis chapter 6. So if you turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6, I want us to read just the first eight verses. Follow along with me as I read. Because it describes the world in which Noah lived. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with men forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. And there were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, uh, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, that's a pretty sad passage of scripture. A pretty sad description of the condition of man. I won't get into the details there of the sons of God and, and, and marrying the, the daughters of men and I'll let pastor deal with all that. But my point in reading that passage is the world was evil. And, and of course, the Lord said that as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be when the Son of Man uh, comes and, and, and returns. Another passage I would like you to read is a passage in Hebrews, where Moses, or Noah, excuse me, not Moses, Noah is mentioned. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. This is the writer of Hebrews' commentary on, on the story of Noah. It says, verse 7, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir, heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So there it talks about how Noah was moved by faith. He is included in this great hero of men and women of faith. 
He had been warned by God. He had been, and, and he went, because of that, he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. And then one other passage, just real quickly, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, where again, Noah is described, and we pick up in the middle of the sentence here, it says, and it's talking about how God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So Noah is described here as a man of faith, a man who was moved by the fear of God, as a preacher of righteousness, uh, as a man who, who heeded God's warning and prepared an ark for the saving of his household. The characteristic of Noah that is really left for us, particularly as he is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, is that of faith. If we today, as the people of God living in an evil age, are going to be a testimony and effective in our witness and our life for Christ, we have to be men and women of faith. That's why Noah is, is included in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, honestly, in, in many ways, faith is not the first thing I think of when I think of Noah. Now, maybe it should be, but for some reason, in my mind, faith was not the first thing I would think of. And yet, really, he was a man of faith when you consider what he did with the ark. I mean, building that thing uh, for all those years, and there's not a drop of rain in sight. Uh, and no one had ever seen rain. And, and trying to explain that to people. And, I mean, if you're my age, you probably grew up listening to the old uh, Bill Cosby routines about Noah, which, you know, were not uh, the most godly and, and biblical descriptions uh, of that. But people would laugh at that because it was absurd to think in, in many ways that, that God has given Noah this command to build a boat. What's a boat? Well, you know, because rain, rain's going to come. What's rain? There's going to be a flood. What's a flood? I mean, you, you just, it must have seemed totally preposterous to people. But Hebrews says he lived by faith. He did so by faith. And so as we think about Noah, as, as we talk about how to live in evil times, the overriding characteristic that, that the Scripture labels him with is that of faith. He is a called a preacher of righteousness in 2 Peter 2, 5. Uh, but here he's also called a man of faith, a man who was God, moved by godly fear. So if we are to be men and women of faith, what does that look like in a world that is an evil world? What's it going to look like for you and me living in a world that has pretty much turned its back on anything that is godly or, or even remotely uh, righteous. Well, let me give you three basic characteristics, I think, tonight. And uh, the outline's going to be very simple. So um, you, shouldn't get, you shouldn't get too lost. Three points. 
Uh, Dr. Sproul used to give me a hard time when we preached because he says, you only have three points to that sermon. I said, yes, but I've got about five or six points, sub-points underneath each point. And if you remember, his sermons used to have many times 10 or 11 or 12 points to them. Uh, so this one only has three points, three main concepts, three main ideas to, to understand about what faith looks like, what it looked like in the life of Noah. I think if you have the faith of Noah, uh, you will first of all learn to trust God's promises and heed God's warnings. That's what it means to live by faith. Living by faith in evil times means that I am going to trust the promises of God and I am going to heed his warnings. I mean, after all, isn't that what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is all about? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. The text tells us here that Noah was warned by God. Uh, Verse 7 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. Faith responds both to the promises and to the warnings of God. We understand that God's word is infallible. What God has said will come to pass. So we we trust God by faith. We believe what he says in his word about Jesus Christ, about what Christ has done for us, our salvation that's in Christ, that if we put our faith and trust in Christ, we'll have eternal life. We, We, by faith, trust in him. But we also believe the warning, which is a great motivating factor as well, that To reject Christ is to spend an eternity in the lake of fire and to be separated from God forever and ever. So faith both clings to promises and faith also listens to warnings. God has given us plenty of promises and God has given us plenty of warnings in his word. God's word is is described as a lamp, as a hammer, as a fire, as a sword. It is honey from a honeycomb. It condemns, it revives, it restores our soul. Both the promises and the warnings of God, we need to accept and we need to believe. God's warning was about events that was yet unseen. We know from scripture, elsewhere in scripture, that it had not rained upon the earth. But rather dew from the ground had come and watered the earth. Faith is trusting God's word regarding the unseen. For if it is seen, it's no longer faith. The message of God was serious, but it was also mysterious. And how do you take seriously a warning about something that your senses have never experienced and your mind cannot comprehend? The Bible says that the mind, uh, I have not seen, and the ear has not heard, neither has it even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for him. When we try to think about the promises of heaven, when we try to think about the promises of eternal glory, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. And yet, living by faith is trusting those promises to be true and and embracing those promises and enjoying the reality of those promises, even though we do not see them. That's faith. So we live in a world where 
evil abounds, death abounds. Many parts of the world, Christians are being killed. Uh, many parts of the world, diseases are, are running rampant. How do we live? We, we live by trusting God, by holding on to those promises that we cannot see, that there is more to this world than just what is around us. We live by faith. And we rejoice in the fact that we have a hope. We, we rejoice in the fact that we have an eternal hope that we can hold on to, that we can cling to, that, that we can embrace and that can, can thrill our heart. We should look, every single one of us should look forward to heaven. But I realize part of the problem is that we, this world has such a hold on us that it, it's, it's hard for us to really understand and appreciate the glory that awaits us. Because we, we see what we see. We see what's in front of us. And yet we look, we know that, that we're not to live for this world. We know that our treasure it should not be in this world. We know that we should lay up treasure in heaven. We know that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We, we know these things. But the hold the world has on us sometimes keeps us from really living in the light and hope of that. If we are going to live fruitfully in an evil world, we, like Noah, are going to have to trust the promises of God. That, hey, there is deliverance for you. That I will protect you. I will preserve you. Uh, I, 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 I will do these things for you. God has given us multiple promises that should cause us not to fear but should cause us to live in joy, rejoicing in all that we have in Christ. But there's also the warnings. Just as, as faith he trusts the promises of God, faith also heeds the warnings. And, and we learn that, that sin has consequences. And we, and we know that rejecting Christ has consequences. And we know that there's, there's multiple uh, Outcomes and, and bad act outcomes when we, when we turn our, our heart from serving God and loving God and, and, and go our own way. And, and faith means that I look at what God says, I, I rejoice in his promises, but I also heed his warnings. You know, the Bible says in, in Galatians that we're not to sow to the flesh. Whatsoever a man soweth, there shall he also reap. That's an important lesson to learn as a believer. That we don't want to sow to the flesh. We, we want to sow what is good. We want to sow what is right. So we seriously look at God's word and we respond in a way that responds in faith, accepting his promises, rejoicing in his promises, and seriously looking at his warnings and saying, no, I don't want those consequences in my life. So we live by faith. We must live by faith. If you and I are to have the faith of Noah, we must believe in what God tells us in his word, even when it's difficult for us to comprehend. God had warned Noah of a cataclysmic judgment upon sin. And yet God has said the very same thing about sin today. Now, the Bible has said that the wages of sin is death. He has said that, that those who reject him, 
he is described in, uh, as, as, as rejecting them, uh, telling those who have rejected him that to depart from me, ye wicked, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And on and on we could go about the warnings of God. But God also promised salvation, that if we had put our faith and trust in Christ, we would have eternal life. So despite what's going on around us, we have the certainty of the word of God. And ultimately we trust his promises and we heed his warnings. But secondly, it, living by faith means not just trusting God's promises and heeding his warnings, but it also means seeking God's protection and deliverance for your household. I mean, if I really trust and believe God's word, and I really believe his warnings, one of the things that ought to greatly motivate me, especially in an evil world, is to provide protection for my household and to seek God's deliverance for my household. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 7 that Noah moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. One of his motivations in building the ark was to prepare a place of deliverance for his household when the flood came, when the rains came. The word constructed here, my understanding is it literally means to, to be made ready. Uh, in reverence, he, that is, he did this in godly fear. He made preparations for the salvation, the deliverance of his household, his family. Now understand, Noah could not force his family to enter the ark of safety. But the Bible tells us that three sons and their wives, and Noah and his wife, that's eight souls, were saved. His family, seeing his character, respecting his faith, responded to his invitation to enter the ark. That says a lot about Noah, just that right there. That his sons and their wives worked apparently alongside Noah. And despite the ridicule, despite the mockery from the world, followed their father's example. And because of that, entered the ark of safety, entered the ark of God's protection. As a father, as a husband, a grandfather, a Christian man, my concern naturally is for my family. So should yours be as well. You cannot force your children or your grandchildren to follow Christ. But I can do everything I can, I'll do everything I can to point them to Christ, to point them to the ark of safety. That's why I think it's important to make the Lord the priority in your life, in your family. Make church a priority. It is why knowing Christ and prioritizing and modeling a relationship with Christ uh, is important in the home. Not just so your, your children see something that looks like Christianity on Sunday, but the world on the rest of the week. I remember, well, it's been over 40 years ago, 
there was a major tornado that roared through southern Ohio where I grew up. I remember very vividly, it was, a, it was around the middle of April. I remember the warnings. Uh, we used to get tornado warnings frequently, but we never really had any major damage. But that particular year, a tornado, a funnel cloud, went up the Ohio River. And my house was really probably, I don't know, maybe a mile. I'm not even sure if it was a mile from the actual Ohio River. I remember um, my brother and I were, were at home. I remember my mother was coming home from work. And uh, we kept going back and forth from the basement upstairs. We're not sure when she was coming. And finally she came. And by that time, everything had calmed down a little bit. And but we heard on the news that the tornado had jumped up out of the river and had gone to the little town of Wheelersburg, Ohio, which is where my cousins uh, lived, my aunt and my cousins lived, and just right in the area where my grandparents lived. I didn't know it at the time, I found this out later, that my, my aunt and, and cousins, uh, basically their neighborhood was hit straight on by, by the tornado, by the funnel cloud. Uh, their, their front porch was ripped off the front of their house and put in their backyard for them. That was convenient, that was nice. Uh, part of the other roof was torn off. And uh, I, they've told me the story of, of uh, my aunt and, and, and her two girls crawling under the bed and uh, could hear the plate glass window in the living room break and could hear the roof being ripped off and could hear the house basically being torn apart. But thankfully they were spared. They weren't injured. The house was a mess, but uh, they survived that. But they immediately were concerned for my grandparents. And they tell the story of basically jumping in the car as soon as they possibly could and driving around debris and going to my grandparents' house as far down the road as they could get. And there was some large trees that had crossed the road, fallen down over the road. They couldn't get past that. So they left their car there, jumped out of the car, climbed over the trees and, and ran down to where my grandparents' house was. And of course, the tornado had completely missed that area. In fact, my grandmother, tells you what kind of stock I'm at, sat on her front porch and watched the funnel cloud go up the river. Thought that was a pretty interesting thing. But why did they respond that way? Because of their concern for their household, their family, their loved ones. If we understand the evil of this world, and we understand by faith the word of God and the warnings of God's word, then we ought to, to be greatly concerned about our homes, our family, our children, our grandchildren. That just is, is a natural, I, I think, result of, of living by faith. We need to understand today. We need not to be naive. The devil wants our children. He wants your grandchildren. I think, you know, I've listened to these debates back and forth on all some of, this, some of this weird and crazy stuff that's going on today. And someone was, was arguing, he says, I don't understand why these people are, are so concerned and, and so agitated and about uh, drag queens performing for uh, little children in, in, in libraries. 
Well, that's not the question. The question is, why do drag queens want to perform for little kids in libraries? The answer is they want your kids. They want to groom your kids. They want, they want to reach this next generation. And they're doing a good job of it, sadly. I was talking to someone who teaches in a Christian school, not ours, but another Christian school here in the West. And they were talking about how many uh, girls in their class had been uh, invited on dates by other girls. These are in Christian schools. Don't be naive. Satan wants your children. And Satan wants your grandchildren. And if we believe God and trust his word and understand both the promises and the warnings, we will, like Noah, seek to build an ark for the deliverance of our household. We will do everything we can to see that our children are brought under the sound preaching and teaching of the gospel and of God's word. We'll do everything we can to protect them from the evil of the floods of evil in this world. We live in an evil world and Satan is, is, is flying his flag very triumphantly. We as Christians need to stand up and protect and do everything we can to protect our homes and to protect our children from this evil age. So living by faith means depending on God's promises, trusting his promises, heeding his warnings. It means seeking his protection, deliverance for our household. But it also means to live by faith means that we will be a sermon, live a life that is a sermon, a demonstration to those who are around us. He is described, Noah is described there in that passage um, in Second Peter as a preacher of righteousness. A preacher of righteousness. How did, how did he preach? Uh, he preached by putting together an ark, by cutting the timber, uh, by assembling the uh, materials that were going to be used for the ark, by every day of his life living for God and serving God and putting the Lord first. If we have the faith like Noah did in an evil world, we will seek to be living a life that is a sermon and a testimony to others and a witness to other people. You know, Noah's faith in constructing the ark condemned the world. It was a message to the world. And it says he became an heir of righteousness by faith, a preacher of righteousness. For 120 years he preached with every tree he saw and every blow of his hammer. It was a reminder of God's coming judgment. But it was also a sermon of hope of God's coming deliverance. Noah's act of faith was a savior of death to those who were dying and the savior of life to those who would believe. 
Noah himself believed the message and he became the first man, I, I think, in Scripture that refers to being made righteous by faith. Noah was, remember the children's song, A Sermon in Shoes. I don't know if any of you ever sang that song or heard that song when you were, when you were a child, but I'm not going to sing it for you, so don't worry. But it goes something like this. Do you know, O Christian, that you're a sermon in shoes? Do you know, O Christian, that you're a sermon in shoes? Jesus calls upon you to spread the gospel news. So walk it and talk it and live it and give it, teach it and preach it, know it and show it. A sermon in shoes. In other words, our lives ought to be a message to everyone around us of the reality of Christ and the reality of his word. The problem is a lot of Christians are preaching these days, but what they're preaching isn't always necessarily what the world needs to hear. The message we're giving is, is that it's okay to love the world and to live in the world and enjoy the world and, and be like the world. If you have the faith like Noah, your life will be a condemnation to some people. Why, why do people, why, have you ever just stopped to think about it? Why is it that the world gets upset and angry with Christians? I mean, we're not trying to hurt anybody. We're not trying to steal. We're not trying to rob anybody of anything. We're not trying to kill anybody. I mean, we're not doing anything that's morally wrong or, or criminally wrong? Why is the world so angry? Why does the world consider Christians to be so dangerous? And we're hearing this more and more. That Christians are, are dangerous. They're, I mean, we're being identified with terrorist groups now. You know, why? Because we, we stand for righteousness. We simply, by our life, even if we are not openly declaring and preaching it and, and, and waving it in someone's face. We're living the word of God and that is a condemnation that, that brings guilt. And, and the unsaved world always tries to find a, an excuse, a relief from their guilt. So it must be our problem. It's not my problem, not, not the way I'm living. No, I can do whatever I want to do. Not how did anyone suggest I should not be able to? And it, it just, it's constantly an amazement to me that the world responds that way. But that's the way they respond to Jesus Christ. Jesus said we shouldn't be surprised. The world hated me before I hated you. And why? Because of his righteousness. Because you, you just can't do whatever you want to do. He doesn't throw his arms of approval on every wicked lifestyle. And, and that, that brings guilt, that brings anger, that brings frustration. But if we live by faith, our, our life is going to be a sermon to other people. Sometimes when we don't even know it. I know many times I have heard unsafe people talk about Christians sometimes in, in, a, in, in a, a wandering fashion. They, they wonder, like, what makes them tick? 
how how do their how is it their children are are not you know killing each other and and tearing things apart and 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 sometimes even speak in admiration of of what of the of the things they see that they they wish they had but yet they don't want to accept the Christ that makes that difference we are a testimony we are a witness and I, I remember hearing Pastor Mike say this many, many times, you know, your life is, is either going to be a testimony and a witness or it's going to be a warning to other people. And, and I've seen that in many people's lives. I've seen professing Christians who are angry and bitter and end up growing old and frustrated and angry at the world and critical of, of everything and everybody. And I've seen Christians grow in love and joy and rejoice and face difficult times with the joy of the Lord. What is your life? Is it going to be a warning? Don't be like him. Don't be like her. Or is it going to be a witness, a testimony? Here's what God can do in your life. Years ago, I read the story, and I, I don't know... I believe this is true. I don't think it would have been, it was told by R.A. Torrey, the evangelist. So I hope it's true. I hope he wasn't, hope he wasn't t- telling a lie or exaggerating the truth. But he was sort of the successor of D.L. Moody and uh, worked closely with Moody uh, in, in for a number of years. And he tells the story of, of D.L. Moody entering a barber shop back in his day. And it was a rather crowded shop and I guess this particular shop was some of the conversation was a little bit crude and, and rough. But it said after waiting his turn, um, our Moody got up to the chair. And, and once Moody's presence was, was known by the people in the barbershop, that there was just kind of a strange silence that just went over the, the barbershop. Moody got up after he got his hair cut and he left the barber shop and, and Tory commented that afterwards people wanted to know who was that man because they said his presence had changed the atmosphere of the entire shop. And obviously they didn't know who he was. It wasn't because they knew who he was. Well, this is a famous evangelist. You better be, better be good, you know. Um, I mean, I've had that sometimes happen in, in, in smaller ways when you're, you're with Someone and, and they just know you don't swear, you don't talk dirty. They figure, okay, well, are you some kind of preacher? I mean, I had people ask me something, are you a preacher? Oh, well, actually, yes, I am. How do you know? Because, well, I, I kind of thought you were. You just kind of, always bothers me when they say you look like one. I'm not sure quite what they mean by that. Uh, but they mean, you, you know, you weren't swearing, you weren't telling dirty stories, you weren't, you know, doing crude and rude things and, and the testimony of a Christian can have a powerful influence in our world especially the more degenerate our world becomes we need to allow our presence to be a, a, a force of good not of evil let our lives be a sermon in shoes Noah lived in difficult days. 
we're, what we are told of Noah is only a sketch of his life. A lot of details I would love to know. A lot of stories. When we get to heaven, I'd like to ask, what was like building that ark? But I'm sure it wasn't easy. I'm sure he faced a lot of reproach. I'm sure he faced a lot of ridicule. I'm sure there were some very difficult times, maybe even with his own sons. But ultimately, because he trusted God's promises, heeded God's warnings, because he diligently sought God's protection and deliverance for his household, because he lived a life that was a sermon to others, he's included in the list of heroes of faith. And we remember him as a preacher of righteousness. We remember him as a man who, who moved with godly fear. A man who influenced um, the world. We've, we live in an increasingly evil generation. I, I encourage you not to be discouraged by that. Sometimes it's easier to sit back and talk about how bad things are. But rather, we need to live by faith. We need to look at Noah's example. Here's a man who lived in times far worse than anything we've, we've experienced and becomes a hero of faith. As you go through the Bible next week, I want to go through some very specific principles the Bible teaches about how we should live in evil days. But we can look back to this man as an example of a man who, who lived by faith and what that faith looked like in his life. May God help us as we go forward, as we live in an in a increasingly evil world, to be men and women of faith uh, who can be influences for righteousness uh, and have impact for years to come. Let's bow our heads for prayer.